Well, this morning I've entitled the message, Are You Ready? So last week, as you saw, uh, Joseph preached in, uh, uh, on a very similar subject. He was talking about that, that Jesus is near at hand, he's going to be coming back, and that we needed to be ready for it. And the interesting thing is, is that him and I didn't talk about what we'd be ministering, and we're actually ministering on, on uh, the same subject, just from slightly different angles, but we're talking about, are you ready? You know, the, the thing is, is it's not difficult to see that things are changing. We're starting to see the, the signs of the times, right? Wars, rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes, and other natural disasters. And um, we're starting to see changes, particularly in the U.S., that I think is going to be leading to a whole lot more persecution and tribulation for Christians in the United States as well. We are seeing religious liberty and even personal liberty attacked at an alarming rate right now. And you don't have to watch the news all that long to see that stuff happening. Things are changing. And these are the signs that we're going to see in a little while that Jesus said, hey, you need to start looking out for this stuff. This is the, this is the signs of, of, of his return. And last week... Um, Joseph talked about the rapture, and he said uh, he said he thought that the the rapture was happening before the great tribulation mentioned in the Bible. And I'll be honest with you, there was a time that I believed that too. But now I've come to one conclusion: is that I don't know, because I've read enough now to know. Because that's what I was always taught. I was always taught uh, in the churches that I grew up with. Um, that the, the rapture uh, was going to happen before the Great Tribulation. And um, I never really looked into it myself. And I have been doing a little bit of looking into it. Now, I'll tell you this right now. I haven't looked deep enough to be able to form a solid stance on it of where I stand right now. I'll be honest with you, I, I just don't know. And if you do any research into it, there's all kinds of ideas of when the rapture happens and when the millennial reign happens. And it's all end-time prophecy. And it's, you know, it's a lot harder to look at than, than the rest of the New Testament because the rest of the New Testament's happened already. <laughs> we know what happened. The, 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 the rapture and the stuff coming in, uh, upcoming um, but we don't know. It's, it's, all, it's all prophetic, and we know it's coming. And I'll be honest with you, when I look at it now, um, I, I see some of the different arguments. You know, it makes sense to me, and the reason why I've always thought that the rapture would come before the tribulation was because uh, the Christians have been saved from God's wrath. We, we're not destined for wrath. Matter of fact, we're free from God's wrath because that was paid in His Son. But the problem that I'm starting to see is I'm, I'm not so convinced anymore that the tribulation is actually God's wrath. And I think that, that there is at least a potential that we could be here for that. Like I said, I don't know. I haven't formed a stance yet. Um, it's something that I want to study and get more into. But the truth is, is that's really besides the point for what I'm talking about today, because regardless of when it happens, we need to be ready. We need to be ready for what's coming. You know, I, 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 the, we need to understand that there, the wrath of God is coming. Romans 2.5 says this, But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So we know that there is at least a point coming when God's wrath will be poured out on the world. Now those of us who are saved, those of us who, who are, are, are born again, we, we're, we're released from that wrath. That wrath has already been poured out on Jesus. Those who don't repent and receive the free gift of life, however, are going to feel the full brunt of God's wrath. That's what they're storing up. But like I said, the reality is, is that whether or not 
the, the great tribulation is actually God's wrath, or it's just the stuff leading up to when his wrath, all the, the, the judgments and the seals and the trumpets and all the stuff in the book of Revelation comes, we need to be ready for it. Because regardless, if, we give, if the great tribulation is, 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 is God's wrath and we're being pulled out before then, there's still tribulation coming before then. There's still stuff that's going to be happening before then, and we need to be ready because the truth is, is that many are going to fall away as soon as they start feeling that pushback. Many are going to give up their faith for a temporary ease of the pain in this life, not realizing they've given up eternity for a temporary pleasure, a temporary easement. So let's go ahead. And before I get into this more too, I also want to talk about as we, as we really talk about the signs and stuff is I don't know when it's going to happen. We're going to look at the signs. We're going to see that some of them are happening now. And I don't know if it's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know if it's going to happen 100 years from now. I don't know if it's going to happen another 1,000 years from now. I can tell you this, that the New Testament church, they thought it was going to happen right away because some of them already said, hey, this is never going to happen. There's scriptures that deal with them that, that uh, Paul's rebuking the church saying, no, no, it's going to happen. And you'll know the, the Thessalonian church. They were teaching that it, that it wasn't going to happen because it hasn't happened yet. And 2,000 years later, we haven't dealt with it because God's not coming back. And how many know that's a good thing? Peter says that God is not, uh, slow, uh, is, is not slow, but he's, he's patient towards us. He's not slow, but he's patient because he wants all to have the opportunity to repent and come to know him. So I don't know when it's going to happen. Today, I'm not, gonna t- I'm not saying we need to be ready because it's happening tomorrow. I'm saying we need to be ready in case it happens tomorrow. I don't know when it's going to happen, but we need to be ready, church. We need to be ready for when this stuff happens, and we need to put our trust in the Lord, because whether it happens in the beginning, the end, the middle, whenever it happens, we need to be ready. And I tell you what, my personal stance, at least until I spend some more time studying it, is this. When Jesus shows up, I'm going to do what he says. I'm just waiting for him to show up, and I'm going to do what he says. I've always joked around, I said, I'm a pan-millennialist. What's a pan-millennialist? Well, it's all going to pan out in the end. That's why I figured I'm going to listen. But I want to be prepared for when it happens. I want to be ready for when it happens because I don't want to be one of the ones that slips away. One of the most awful things that I've ever watched um, was a video. You know, in the United States, stuff is pretty censored and we don't get a lot. But if you, um, there are stuff out there of real persecution happening in other countries, in Muslim countries. And I saw a story of a, of a, of a man who, who converted to Christianity and he was caught out by some radical Muslims there and they had a machete and they threatened him and he said, we're, if, you don't re- if you don't recant your Christianity, we're going to kill you. And because he was afraid, he gave up and he recanted his Christianity. And then the Muslims said, you know what, we're going to kill you anyway except for we're going to cut your head off because they believe if you, cut, if you get your head cut off, there's no way to get into heaven. And he just gave up everything because... He was afraid, looking for that little bit of, 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 of a pullback so maybe he could live a little longer. And then he was killed. Now I pray that God would have mercy on his soul. I pray that he didn't really do that in his heart. It was all just the words out of his mouth. I pray that that man is with heaven. But the reality is that there are going to be many who being afraid of pain or harm or what's coming on in their life, that they're going to give up. Church, I don't want you to give up. I want you to be ready. Amen. 
So let's start, let's start first scripture today. Matthew 24, 3 through 12. It says, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and of rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed for this must take place. The end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all these are but the beginning of the birth pains. And then, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. So the way this starts out is, Jesus and his disciples are walking along and he points to the temple and he says, you know what? Not one stone will be standing on top of one another. And they said, Jesus, well, tell us the, the signs of, of when this is to happen. He says, these things, that's a stone on top of one another, and you're coming in the end of the age. And when they, they asked him this, he says, all right, I'm going to tell you what you're going to see. He says, first, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. How many know we see this all the time? Right now, we see wars and rumors of wars. Did you know that this administration is the only administration in the past several that hasn't started a war? That's an interesting thing. The last three administrations have each started a war. This is the first one. Wars and rumors of wars are happening all the time. And to tell you what, rumors of wars aren't clearing up right now. If you guys don't know this and you're not following what's going on in the world, uh, China's gearing up. Because uh, our administration is finally taking a strong stance with them, and now they're preparing for war. I don't know if it's going to happen, but certainly a rumor of war. And what about in the United States? We're more divided than we've ever seen. Many people say that we're already in the midst of a civil war. And if not, we're really close. Rumors of wars. Wars and rumors of wars are happening all around us. And then there's stuff that's not even impacting us. Belarus right now is in the, in the middle of a civil war. Um, Venezuela is in the middle of a civil war right now. We see wars happening, and that's just a small portion of them. Wars are happening all over the place. Nations are rising up against nations. He says, you'll hear of wars, rumors of wars. And then he says, don't be alarmed at that. Because that's just the, that's just the beginning. This stuff must take place, but the end isn't here yet. This is just the stuff that we're going to see as it's coming up for it. And now certainly, wars and rumors of wars have been happening for a long time, probably the last 2,000 years, I would imagine. This stuff's been happening. He says, don't be alarmed. This stuff must happen. But then he also goes on to say, but there'll be more signs. There'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. Now, I don't know about you guys, but it seems to me that we're seeing natural disasters happen more often than they've ever happened before. Earthquakes, hurricanes, tornadoes, all these things are happening all around us. And did you know that famines are happening around us as well? We don't hear about them much in the United States because um, 
the truth is we're a blessed people. We have it pretty good. Like the idea that you can go to a grocery store and buy food anytime you want, that's a pretty uh, amazing thing. But how many of you know this? COVID-19 could potentially cause a global food shortage. This was uh, July 12th. An article on CNN said this, the coronavirus pandemic has already claimed over half a million lives across the world with case numbers continuing to rise. But a new report by Oxfam now warns that the hunger crisis worsened by the pandemic could potentially kill more people each day than the infection itself. I don't know if you've heard them, but I've heard stories of farmers just destroying entire crops because they have no way to get them out because of the pandemic. Supply lines are being impacted. All this stuff is being impacted. There's a potential right now with what's happening that we could have a global famine, not because lack of rain, but because of lack of, of ways to get the food around. You see, the signs of the times, they're there. We're starting to see these things. And then he goes on to say, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. You know, we're already starting to see signs of these changes happening right now as well. I don't know if you know this, but for the past several years, Christians have been the most persecuted people group in the entire world. By far. It doesn't even come close. No other people group comes even close to the persecution that Christians receive worldwide. We don't see that because in the United States, we're a very blessed people. We're blessed to be Christians here. You know, most people don't, uh, you know, it's hard to get people to, to get involved and come to church because they think it's, you know, it's oh, Sunday morning. I just want to do whatever I want on Sunday morning. But in other countries, they risk their lives to be able to come and meet with other Christians. They would give up everything just to be with other believers. But many here who say they're Christians can't bother to be inconvenienced to get up early on a Sunday morning. But the truth is, is we're already starting to see signs of this increase. Did you know that right now, Pastor Andy Elms, he's the pastor of, uh, <clears throat> and I just blanked on the name of their church, What's family church in, uh, in England, they can't meet right now. One is because they always met in a school. I don't know if you know this, but in England, kind of all the land's bought up and built on. Like there is no buying land and building a church. You have to get a hold of something that's already existing. And uh, so they meet in a church every Sunday. Well, all the churches are shut down, so they can't meet. And even when they do meet, they're not allowed to sing and they're not allowed to pray out loud. Yeah. That's what they're being told. When they come together, they can't sing and pray out loud. We're starting to see an impact in that stuff happening. In California right now, they're saying that churches can't meet in full force. You can meet with up to 25% of your capacity or 100 people, whichever is less. I mean, right now there's court battles being fought. Uh, praise God, John MacArthur. There's a lot of stuff theologically that I don't agree with with John MacArthur. But I praise God that he's standing up and pushing back against the government over there. And things are changing. But the argument here is, oh, but our Constitution will protect us. But we're already seeing pushback against the Constitution left and right right now in the United States. Did you know that the mayor of L.A. has stated that if people get together in a large group, that he's authorized the government to shut off their power and their electricity? In any country in the world, those two things are considered a human right. And you're not allowed to take them away. 
Even in this country, right now during this pandemic, there are orders, government orders, that you can't shut off uh, electricity or power, even if you don't pay. Why? Because it's a human right that you have those things. And they want to make sure that you're protected. And the government will protect you as long as you're not standing up against it. Then it's not okay. If you violate their rules and get together and and have a a group of people in your house, they're going to shut your power and water off. We are seeing challenges to the Constitution. What about this one? Chicago Mayor Lightfoot says that she will arrest people for protesting outside of her home, out of in her neighborhood. She's all for protesting everywhere else. She's okay with letting riots happen, all those things happen, but should someone peacefully protest in front of her house, she's going to arrest them. She's pushing against the boundaries of the Constitution, which says that we have the right to peacefully assemble. I don't know if you guys realize how blessed we are to be in Arizona with a governor who actually supports the Constitution. You know, when we come and we wear masks and stuff like that in the church and we do the things that we're trying to do, we're doing it willingly. We're not doing it under compulsion because the government, he's he's already said that we're exempt from all these rules because we're a constitutionally protected uh, entity. And praise God for that. But other places don't have it. So don't think that the Constitution is going to protect us forever. It's constantly under attack. That's the thing is that in many countries right now, it's illegal to be a Christian. They'll actually kill you for it. And one of the most amazing things that I saw, I was talking, this was a few years ago at a conference, we had some people from these countries, missionaries from these countries, and, and they, were, they were speaking to us at a youth conference, and they, they, we asked them, you know, what can we do for you? What is it that, that we can do for you? And I thought that they were going to say, oh, we could use finances or we could use resources. But the number one thing they said is we, we need you to pray for us so that we can remain strong, that we won't give in, that we won't give up. They wanted prayer for that. And church, they're already pushing right now for certain things to no longer be covered under free speech but covered under hate speech. They're already pushing for stuff in the Bible, the stuff that we believe because we believe it's the Word of God. That if we say these things, if you say that that homosexuality is a sin, that'll be considered hate speech before long and they can arrest you for it. And it's going to get worse. And as these things happen... This is what Jesus says. Many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many are going to fall away. They're going to decide that the short-term comfort is more important than eternal security. And church, I want you to be ready for the possibility of persecution and tribulation just because you're a Christian. And if we're not ready for that, we're going to want to give up. I want you to remain strong in your faith and never fall away. Church, we have to be ready for these things. Because here's the thing, no one knows the hour when he's coming back. Matthew 24, 36-51, But concerning the day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. 
Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill and one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know, and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, this is just a few verses later than what we just read when Jesus was talking about the signs of the times, this day of judgment when Jesus is returning. And he begins to warn that when it does happen, the world's not going to be expecting it. Just like in the days of Noah when the flood was coming, men and men, women of that time were continuing in their daily lives, as debased as they were. That's why the flood came, because it was a mess. But they were, they were continuing in their daily lives like nothing was going to happen. And, and they had Noah telling them it was happening. They, Noah was telling them that this was coming, but they didn't believe him. So they continued on living their lives. They continued on in sin. They continued on ignoring the man of God, telling them that there was a way out, that there was a way to freedom, that there was a way to life. They ignored him and did their own thing. And they didn't see it coming. But when the flood came, he had wiped them out. They had been told, here's how you get out. Repent. Get on the boat with me. And they all ignored him. Things would have been different if they had listened to Noah. And instead of continuing to live in sin and doing all those things, they instead had been preparing for what was to come. You know, that's the thing about the flood is that God told Noah that it's coming and he says, prepare. He didn't say, if you get enough people saved, we'll stop it. Or if you pray hard enough, we'll stop it. You know what? Noah could have prayed his, ear, his, 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 his tongue out and it was still coming. That's one of the things we have to understand about this. Now, I don't think we shouldn't pray. We need to pray that this holds off as long as possible, that God, that Jesus tarries as long as possible so as many people will have the opportunity to be saved. But understand that there will come a point when it's coming. No matter how much praying we're doing, it's coming. And that's why Jesus said, hey, you know what? You need to stay awake. He starts talking here. He says, if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake. See, that's what we all, that's what many people want is the easy way. I remember when I was younger when I first got saved because I, I hadn't realized that, that actually serving God was better than serving the world. And I'm like, man, this would have been so much better if I could have just known when I was going to die so I could live however I wanted and, you know, right on my deathbed, like quickly get saved, you know. I was young. I was, I was a teenager. But so many people think that way. They want to do what they want to do now and hopefully just catch it at the right moment. But here's the thing is we don't know the day or the hour. Whether you are, are, are here and you pass away before Jesus comes back, you still don't know the day and the hour of your passing. And that's your last moment. You know, it's all well and good if you're laying in your deathbed and you know what's happening, but what if you get hit by a bus? You didn't know that was coming. There have been so many people who didn't know that today was their last day. And they weren't awake. 
They were sleeping, doing their own thing. But it says here, if the, if the, if the master had known when the thief was coming, he would have just made sure he was awake for that time. But what Jesus says, he says, no, you stay awake the whole time to be ready so it doesn't matter when the thief comes. We need to be prepared and be awake right now. And then it won't matter when he comes because we'll be ready. Then he uses the analogy of a servant left in charge of the household. He says this faithful and wise servant whose master said over him is doing the things his master told him to do. He's doing everything that his master had commanded him. And because of that, it didn't matter when the master came home. If you're always doing what you're supposed to be doing, if you're always ready, if you're always prepared, it doesn't matter when the master comes home because he's going to find you doing what you're supposed to be doing. But if you're this guy, you're a wicked servant, and he says, oh, my master's delayed, I guess I can do whatever I want. You know, trying to play that time game. If I can just get things in order right before he comes home, he'll think that I was doing the right thing the whole time. But the problem is, is when you're not ready, the master could show up at any point in time. He could show up whenever. And if, what if he finds you doing those wicked things? There's going to come a point, church, for all believers and unbelievers when it's too late. You know, for the unbeliever, they're not going to have a chance at all. They're not going to be able to, to receive that salvation, and it's going to be too late. And they're going to say, just give us one more chance, and God's going to say, I've been telling you your entire life that you needed a Savior. I sent my Holy Spirit to convict you that you needed a Savior. And you said no the whole time. You called them a liar the whole time and it'll be too late. And there's going to be many Christians who are doing the same thing that they, they, they said their prayer once and they continue living however they wanted to live because they're not actually ready. They're not prepared and tribulation's going to come and they're not going to have a solid foundation and they're going to give up and have that same... But Jesus, didn't I, didn't I uh, 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 say, say the prayer once? And he's going to say... Away from me, I never knew you. We have to be ready. See, so understand what these analogies mean about the end of days is that we need to be about our Father's business. We need to be about doing the right thing, make sure that we're spending time. And we're going to talk about it in a minute, what it means to be ready, but we need to be about our Father's business. We can't be straddling the fence the whole time saying, I just want to be a little bit in the world because it's more fun. I enjoy my nights out. I enjoy doing these things that are more important than what God has for me. When you straddle the fence, that puts you in a precarious position. It's a dangerous place to be. So instead, make sure like this wise servant that you're doing the right things now so that you're not caught off guard and surprised. And don't be surprised when things get ugly because how many know that Jesus didn't come to bring peace? That's what the Bible says. Matthew 10, 34-39 says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but the sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me of me and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me whoever finds his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it and you guys have heard me say this before one of the worst things that we can do when we're, we're, we're telling people about christ and trying to get people saved is tell them that everything will be perfect if you just say yes because life is not all sugar plums and gumdrops after you get saved it's actually still hard life is hard 
whether you're born again or not, we still live in a fallen, broken world. And the Bible says that the, even the earth is groaning, waiting on His return. That's where we're getting all these natural disasters from. The, 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 the world is broken, and it's, it's, it's groaning for a time that it can be remade and made whole again. And following Jesus comes with a cost. This is what He says here. He says, don't think that I came to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. And what does He mean by that? Well, one, I think He wants you to understand that that he was persecuted and then he was hated, and so are we. We're going to be persecuted. And they will hate us because they hated him. He explains what he means by this idea of, of bringing a sword and not peace by talking about this. He says, Don't think, he says, For I have come to set man against father and, father and daughter against her mother and daughter in law against mother in law. He's talking about these people that should be family are going to be turning against one another. And why will they do that? Because some will say yes to Jesus and some won't. We see it in Muslim communities already right now that, that where your, family, your own family will attempt to kill you if you become a Christian. Wives and husbands have been turning against their, their spouses because one turned to Christianity. Or, or I heard one story in, a, in one of the, the camps that they have over there where uh, a husband got saved, so the wife called, called uh, uh, his brothers so that they would come in and kill him for, for receiving Jesus Christ. M mothers and fathers turning against one another. Sons and daughters turning against one another. Pastor Jack Karras recently sent out a newsletter about a Muslim uh, man who got saved and he went back home and they firebombed his house with military-grade weapons. They lost everything. Fortunately, everybody... What uh, was alive, except for the mother, I guess, is having some trouble breathing because of the smoke and stuff that happened in there. But uh, it, the reality is, is that that it can be dangerous to be a Christian. And here's the thing: what does it look like if it looks like that here in the United States? See, we're so blind to the stuff that happens because we have it so good here. But let me ask you this. Did you ever think that there would be a day where they would set up a hotline like in New York that if you don't wear a mask, somebody can call the government so they can come arrest you for not wearing them? That's happening right now. They have hotlines set up in New York where you can call if somebody's not wearing a mask. What happens if those who are in, in political power that believe that the Bible is hate speech get into power and the laws change and now it's illegal to preach the Word of God as it's written? And they set up a phone number to call if you hear somebody saying something like homosexuality is a sin, abortion is a sin. What if, what if, what if there's a number set up and your neighbor calls? What if you're the only person in your family that's a Christian and the rest of them aren't and your family calls? This stuff is not that far away, or at least potentially. And we need to be ready, church. What's going to happen? Are you going to give up on Christianity to save face with your family or to not go through maybe imprisonment or even torture? You see, dealing with that kind of stuff is going to require a strong foundation, strong faith. You know, we read the Bible and we, we think that stuff, remember when Peter and John, they got put in prison and they were beaten? And they considered it an honor to be beaten for the Lord Jesus Christ. And these people are crazy. What if that becomes our reality? Are you going to be ready? Are you going to consider it a joy 
Or are you going to say, oh, we're sorry, we'll never preach his name again. We'll never mention his name again. Now, I'm not saying that this stuff is going to happen as a certainty. I don't know the future. But I'm certainly seeing the writing on the wall. I'm seeing the signs. I'm seeing things changing. And what I do know for a fact, whether I don't know it will happen in our generation, but I do know for a fact that it at one point will happen. We will be persecuted. We will be uh, arrested. We will be killed. How do I know that? Because that's what the Bible says is going to happen. Will it be us in this room? I don't know. Will it be our, our kids or their kids? I don't know. But I want to be ready in case it is right now. I don't want to be one of the ones who gives up and falls away just for some ease of life right now. And I'll be honest with you guys, and it's okay to be a little bit scared of that. Like I'm not looking forward to ever having to deal with that, but I pray that I have the courage and the strength to remain strong. And I pray that you're praying that for me, and I'm certainly praying that for you. Jesus said this, in Luke 18, 7 through 8, will not God give justice to a select who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This is a question Jesus had. You know, if you remember this parable that Jesus was telling us about the, uh, the corrupt judge who has a lady banging on his door day and night, and he finally gets tired of the banging and says, Fine, fine, I'll give you justice. And God said, and Jesus said, God's not like that. If, if this corrupt judge will do that, what do you think God will do? He, will, he won't delay long over them asking for justice. He says that he'll give justice to them speedily. But even with that, even with a God who answers prayer, even with a God who's active in our life, even with a God who's moving in our life, Jesus still wonders, will there be people that have faith when I come back? Or will they all fall away? Will you see people? that are still for him, or will he see people that were afraid and turned away, that abandoned their faith for temporary appeasement? So church, we need to be ready. So how do we get ready? That's the question, right? It wouldn't make any sense for me to just tell you you need to get ready, but not talk about what the Bible says to do to get ready. Amen? Matthew 25, 1-13. Is a parable of the ten virgins. It says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise, for whom the foolish took for when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. And the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. And as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And then they all all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But, the answer, but he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The first step of being ready is being prepared. To be doing the things that God wants us to do so that we have everything that we need. Jesus gives this example of the ten virgins and we see five who were foolish and did not prepare and we see five who were wise and did prepare for the marriage feast that were coming up. 
Now, how many know that all 10 of them knew what was coming? All 10 of them knew that the marriage feast was coming, that they would need their, their lamps, and they would need to be ready. All of them knew this, but only five actually prepared for it. And they were, all 10 of them were going through the same thing. They all grabbed their lamps. They all showed up. They all had to do the same waiting on the bridegroom. And they all needed to go to sleep because the bridegroom delayed. But when the bridegroom showed up, there was only five that were ready. Because while they were waiting, the lamps, had, the oil had been burning up. And they were quickly running out. So the bridegroom shows up. They get up. They, they, they trim their, their wicks and they get ready to go. But five of them realize that they're out of oil. But the other five were ready. They had spent the time preparing. They had done the extra that was needed. They had gone and, and to the dealers already. They had got the oil. They were ready to go. But the other five, they added at the last minute, they had to try and run to the dealers to get oil. And they all went and did. They grabbed it at the last minute and they showed up and knocked on the door and the door was already shut. It was already too late. You see, we need to be prepared when Jesus shows up because when He comes, there's not going to be a waiting period. There's not going to be an amount of time that we can be ready. We need to make sure that we're saved and we need to make sure that we're spiritually maturing so that we're ready to handle what's coming our way. You see, it appears that all ten were on the right track, but only five were actually prepared. We will be required to go the distance as well. You don't get to do it halfway. We don't get to pick which parts of the Bible we want to follow and which parts that we don't. This isn't progressive Christianity, you know, like Flo on the progressive commercials where they get to pick which part of the insurance they want. That's not how Christianity works. We have to be ready and prepared and we have to continue in the faith. This is what Paul says in Colossians 1.23. He says, we must continue in the faith. We must go the distance. You can't just say a prayer one Sunday morning and have an emotional experience with God and then live your life however you want to live it after that. Because a changed life has proof of change. You see things that are different. And I want to encourage you guys to, to all continue in your faith, to continue walking with God. Don't let the cares and the struggles of this world pull you away. Don't let the passing pleasure of sin in this world pull you away because it certainly won't be worth it. And there'll, be, there'll come a time where it'll be too late for you to go back. Now the good news is, is you have until the moment Jesus returns and or till you die to make that change. But the problem is, is we don't know the day or the hour for any of those. Many people live a long life and they, they lay on their deathbed with their family. But there are many people that die every single day in a blink of an eye and they never knew it was coming. Did they say yes to Jesus before that happened or was it too late? Because they don't get another chance after that. And the same goes for all of us. We won't get another chance. Will you have your oil? Or will you not have what you need to be with the bridegroom? Just so you know, that's an analogy often used of the church. The church is the bride. Jesus is the bridegroom. Church, are we going to be ready? Are we going to have our oil? Are we going to be doing the things that we're supposed to be doing? We can't plan to fix it. I told you that story when I was younger. How I thought that would be the best way to do it. 
Well, first off, it's because I was naive. I didn't realize how good it was to be a Christian. I didn't realize how awesome it was to not be enslaved to alcohol and to tobacco and to drugs and to all those things that I was enslaved to before when I thought I was free, but I was a prisoner. And then now, like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian and I'm living my life and I'm so happy with, with my life that I'm not beholden to those things, that I don't need those things to survive, that I don't need those things to be happy because my happiness, my joy comes from the Lord. And I'm blessed. And I'm so glad that, that I didn't fall into that trap thinking, well, I'll just straddle the line see how close I can get. How close can I get to sin without touching it? The problem is you get close enough, sometimes it jumps on you. We have to be ready. Matthew 7, 24 through 27 says this, everyone who then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. This is the greatest advice you can have if you want to be ready. Build your house on a solid foundation. If you want to be solid, if you want to be ready, then you, you build your life based on the Word of God. He says that if you hear these words and you do them, you can't just hear them and do whatever you want. Too many Christians have decided that... that and, We've cheapened grace to the point where we, we think that, oh, God loves us no matter. We can do whatever we want. God will still love us. But God didn't save you so that you could stay in sin and be forgiven. He saved you so you could be free of sin and finally walk away from that craziness. And he says, if you hear my words and you do them, then you're building your house on a solid foundation. But if you just hear my words and you get as close to sin as you can, or you straddle that fence, one foot in the world, one foot in the, in the Word, then what happens is you're a foolish man who has built your house on sand. And it has no foundation. It has no solidness. And here's the thing. The rain and the floods are going to come to us all. Tribulation is going to, and, and famine and these earthquakes and these wars and all this stuff that we're talking about, it's going to impact everybody on this earth. But will you be washed away because your foundation is so weak? Will you lose everything? We saw earlier Jesus said that, that those who would save their life must lose it. That means sometimes giving up the passing pleasures that happen in right now. Sometimes it means making sacrifice. He says that you've got to pick up your cross and follow Him. I wonder if that made any sense to them at the time because Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet. But it sure does to us now when we realize that, that picking up your cross means to sacrifice. That means you might have to give some stuff up. But it'll be worth it. Do you really want to trade your eternity for something so short right now? I tell you what, what we're living right now is so much shorter <laughs> than what we're going to be dealing with in eternity. But if you want to be strong, if you want to have your 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 foundation be solid that means that you need to spend time in god's word you need to spend time in prayer you need to stop making compromises in your life and making excuses 
Because if we'll do those things, then our foundation will be strong. And when things get tough, we will not be bowled over. We will not give up. We will not run away. Because the reality is, church, things are going to get tough. Like I said, I don't know when. I don't know if it's going to be in our lifetime or in the next. But we better start teaching Christians to be ready because the signs just keep stacking up. And it's coming soon. Matthew 16, 24-26, Jesus says, Jesus told His disciples, if anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. We just talked about that. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for My sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What shall a man give in return for his soul? We have choices to make. And there are many who, don't, who only want the feel-good bits of being a Christian. They only want the goosebumps. And people telling them that everything's going to be okay and you're free and everything's wonderful. God loves you. And all those things are true. But we have to be willing to go all in. That means sometimes we make sacrifice. That means sometimes we pick up our cross. That means sometimes we, we let go of the things in life that, that seem important now, but in the scheme of things really aren't. We're going to have to deny ourselves. That's what he says here. Deny yourself and take up your cross. Denying yourself means walking away from those things that aren't in alignment with the will of God. Now, I'm not saying that you can't have fun, that you can't have a life, that, that God wants you to be confined to a monastery and, and, and that's it. But we certainly need to make choices about what is taking precedence over what God would have us do. You know, I don't think it's a bad thing to sit down and watch some TV but if you're watching TV at expense of reading your Bible or spending time in the Word or spending time in prayer, then you have a problem because you're not denying yourself. You're not picking up your cross, what seems like sacrifice now. You know, the thing is, is I think that one day when we get to heaven, we're going to realize all those things that we thought were sacrifice really weren't. That was the right thing to do. They were the the good thing to do. And, and if we're not willing to do these things, that's when we're going to get to heaven one day. And, and on paper, it looked good. You know, like we said we were a Christian and we went to church on Sunday, but the rest of our lives, we didn't live anything like a Christian. We were just, you know, looking good on the outside. That's when Jesus is going to say, who are you? I never knew you. Jesus, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Get away from me. I, I never knew you. We can't just look like it on the surface. We have to live it. And the thing is, is that we have to decide would having everything on this earth right now be worth losing our soul? He says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? You know, and some of us, we read this like, oh, he's, he's just talking about the ones that, that are going after everything, you know, just giving up everything and, 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 and compromising people so they can be rich. Or, but it's not just these big cases. It's the little stuff too. When we're hurting others so that we can have some sort of gain. When we decide that the nights of partying and, and, and all these other things are more important. It doesn't have to be gaining the whole world. It's going to be gaining these little things that, that we think are pleasurable even though that they're not godly. Is that worth losing your soul? We have to make a choice. Would you trade it? 
What about even when the world turns against you because you're a Christian? Would you trade it? Church, I, I don't want to preach this message to scare people. That's not the point. I want to encourage you to press into God. Spend more time in prayer. Get prepared. Make it a priority. Read your word. Live out what has been accomplished inside of you through Jesus in your life. Walk away from sin. Don't let it have a control over you. And here's the thing, when we prepare, when we press in, when we grow and mature in our faith, that's how we're getting ready. We're building our house on that solid foundation so when things get tough, we're not toppled over. And we can know, not just hope, we can know that we will be with Him for eternity if we will do these things. I don't know the day or the hour, nobody does, but we need to be ready. And this is what Jesus, that first passage of Scripture that we read, this was the next verse. He says, but the one who endures to the end, Matthew 24, 13, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Church, I can't promise you that it'll be easy. Matter of fact, it probably won't. If things start getting really bad, it certainly won't. But it will be worth it. And if you will endure then you will be saved. It's not a question. It's a reality. It's a fact. But the problem is, is you have to be prepared. You have to be ready if you want to endure to the end. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and bow our heads. <clears throat> I just want to give an opportunity for anybody who um, hasn't received that free gift of salvation right now to take that opportunity. Is there anybody in this room here today that, that uh, has not said yes to Jesus? I want you to know that God loves you more than you can ever imagine. God wants to, to spend eternity with you, and He loves you so much that He sent His Son to give His life for you, to pay the penalty for every failure that you've ever had, every falling, every shortcoming. And all you have to do is say yes. Put your trust in Him and call Him your Lord and Savior. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouth and we believe with our heart that Jesus is the Son of God, then we will be saved. So is there anybody here today that's not received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and would like to do so now? Hallelujah. I also want to give an opportunity for anybody online, if you've not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's as simple as putting your trust in Him. Saying, thank you, Father, that you sent your Son to die on the cross for me, to pay the penalty that I should have paid, died the death that I should have paid. And I receive you as my Lord and Savior. It's as simple as saying that, and it's not the words that save you, but it's the attitude of heart. It's putting your trust in Jesus that saves you. And if that's the first time you've said that today, let us know. Send us an email and go ahead and uh, um, uh, so we can pray with you. Get in contact with us. The phone number is on the church website. You can leave a message in the comments, but uh, we want to pray with you and let you know that God loves you and we want to walk alongside you. And then last thing that's left is um, how many people here need encouragement to stay strong? Raise your hand if you want prayer for encouragement, prayer for the ability to maintain strength during difficult times. Hallelujah. Well, Father, for everyone that's raised their hand right now, and, and even the ones that didn't, Father, Lord, I pray that you would help us to remain strong.
in the midst of adversity, in the midst of tribulation, in the midst of persecution. Father, I pray that you would help us to remain strong, that we would not have our foundation based on sand, but it would be based on the solid rock of your word, Father. And I pray that when stuff comes, Lord, that we would not fall away, that we would not see the passing pleasures of this world as as something to be desired, but rather, Father, that our desire would be strictly focused on you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to remain strong, to remain focused and to not give way. Help us to be ready, O oh God. In Jesus' name. Let's go and stand to our feet as we close the service.